the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin. Who is Space Case Sarah? Funky, edgy, smart, funny, and a rebel feminist. Now, witness it yourself on iRock Space Radio. Hello, space enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of the Space Case Sarah Show with, as always, my space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin here on iRock Space Radio. Little story time, flashback to the beginning of the start of the show. When we started this and we decided to name the show's episodes after elements, Kavi was like, when we get to iron, I want it to be really cool. And today is that day. Kavi, we have made it to the Iron episode. Everyone needs to get the Iron Man, like, puns and memes and references out of your system. Yeah, Benjamin, I'm looking at you. Get it out. Get it out I have other Marvel characters <laughs> on my desk, but I don't have Iron Man. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is the Iron episode, and we have a guest with us today because Kavi wanted it to be an epic episode. So um, before I introduce our, our guest, this is Laura Driesen. And uh, I will introduce her more formally in just a second. We're going to first do our usual song and dance. It is the Iron episode. So the guys will give us some facts about Iron and notable things in space history and birthdays, astronaut birthdays on this day. So, Kavi, it's the Iron episode. I, I mean, I just, just think dying. it's notable that you you remembered what element we were doing. Because like the past four or five episodes, you've been like, what is it this week? I don't remember. <laughs> That's good. Like we are just talking science or something. It's <laughs> because they're weird. <laughs> like manganese. True. Who even know? like yeah, who knows? Uh, manganese. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't speak manganese, but I do speak iron, and iron is super cool. And I'm really excited, especially glad that we have a real life astrophysicist here today to talk about iron. Oh, you're one too. Uh, in training. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Like the, the paddle one. Um, but yeah, so iron is super, super fascinating um, because it comes from supernovae. It comes from exploding stars at the end of their lives. And what's wild to me is that these kind of crazy explosions in the depths of the universe have led to the formation of planets and the formation of um, creatures such as ourselves. Iron is about 32% of the entire Earth. People say it's, you know, 32% of, uh, of what Earth is composed of and the actual core of our planet is mostly iron, um, which comes from these exploding stars, which is wild. And it's about four grams of iron in your blood in most humans. So I there are some fun facts coming your way. Ooh. That is very cool. And Benjamin, what you got? Hello. Uh, this is our iron episode and it will air for the first time on February 11th. So happy February 11th astronaut birthday to Richard Mastraccio, who flew on three shuttle flights, one Soyuz flight for a total of 227 days in space. And happy scientist birthday to Leo Sizzlard. I said it wrong and I don't care. But he was a <laughs> physicist who helped Enrico Fermi uh, design the first nuclear reactor that sustained a nuclear Ooh, reactor. So that is, that's that. And his name that's is awesome. Exciting. It's exciting. Huh? Yeah. It's happened. I was going to say really quick, too, that the iron fact, Kavi, that you gave about it being in your body. I did an experiment with my kids once where you extract iron out of the iron fortified cereal. So you can like Ooh. soak 
cereal in water and then blend it up. And then you can take a magnet and you can pull all those little little tiny pieces of iron to like the bottom of a Ziploc bag. It's very cool. It's kind of weird, too, when you're like, huh, I'm eating literally metal in my breakfast cereal. Um, but yes, welcome, welcome to Astro Laura, Laura Driesen, who is also joining us from the other side of the world. So ergo, she is not real. Because we've determined <laughs> you, you people in Australia are not real. Um, and Benjamin and I were talking while we were waiting for our Australian friends to join us. We don't think you've published enough papers. We don't think you've done enough. I haven't done enough. There's just no possible, you know, no possible way that you uh, you've done enough. And we are going to need you to do more. But no, seriously, like you have this huge <laughs> resume. Um, your CV is like, oh my god, it just keeps going. Um, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love for you to give us a little bit of like your origin story and um, kind of give us an introduction of of how you got to be Astro Lauren or Laura. I'm sorry. No, that's OK. No, totally. I think I mean, because considering the CV is long, I hope you've got a lot of time because it takes a while. <laughs> the origin story is not short. Um, but I also just wanted to say to Kavi, I Googled it once um, because I was giving a school presentation about what the definition of an astronomer is. And it's basically anyone who's studying or interested in space. So you're already there. It's already done. Yes. It's too late for you. You kind of cool. <laughs> yes, exactly. Anyone who's really seeing space. We all basically almost have PhDs here then. Obviously. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. As long as you think space is awesome, you're on it. Perfect. See, you are overachieving. Yeah, that's that's what I'd go for, you know. <laughs> yeah. So give us, I mean, as quickly as you can maybe sum it yes. up. What, uh, well, yeah. How'd you get into this? Make it, I'll wrap it up. So I um, I love space forever. That's not an uncommon thing for us astronomers that, that, you know, there are a few who come in sort of weird ways, but I love space forever, but I didn't think that you could actually, like it never occurred to me that you could actually look at space like every day, <laughs> that that could be the thing that you do. Um, but I went to a science camp actually in Sydney and I saw Geraint Lewis who's a, a University of Sydney um, professor and he was showing that dark matter simulation which is this really cool um, and it looks just beautiful simulation of the of the universe and in that moment I was just like wait he does this every day maybe <laughs> I could do this every day so 17 year old me sort of had that actual light bulb moment of wait I can do this so then I went to Monash University in Melbourne and I went on a, an exchange to the, the University of Warwick in the UK. Um, and then in my third year, um, because of that, that extra exchange, it added an extra semester onto my degree. If you'd asked me at the start of my degree, that would have been like the end of the world, but eh, everything takes a little bit longer. Um, I did a summer research project in Perth at the International Centre for Radio Astronomy Research and loved it so much that I applied for another one while I was doing that one um, at Astron in the Netherlands, which is the Netherlands Institute for Radio Astronomy. Um, and then I did my master's at the University of Amsterdam um, and my PhD at the University of Manchester with half of it back in Melbourne because of a certain pandemic. Um, then I... <laughs> <laughs> the, the classic. Yeah. Um, then I did about a year and a half at the CSIRO um, in Perth. And I just started at the University of Sydney this Monday. So, well, so it'll be just about a week when this comes out. Thank you. So I'm in my um, apartment, which is very bare bones at the moment, <laughs> but at least it's got a bed and stuff. So that's that's all you need, right? Yeah. All you need. Exactly. I mean, you're just out there looking at the, the stars all night anyway. So, you know, exactly. you don't need much. 
Luckily, as, luckily, as reading astronomers, we can look at the stars all day and night. So true, because I'm, I'm a radio astronomer. So we've got any time we like, we can we can look so, at space. Perfect. That's actually a good way to start. Maybe kind of introducing um, questions and kind of talking about your work and what you do. For the average person listening, because we have a an audience base that is um, very varied in their interests. Some people are really into sort of the like the rockets and the SpaceX and the launches kind of thing. And then we also have people who are really like into, you know, science, science fiction. Um, what for like the average person to understand is the difference between radio astronomy and just like what they would think an astronomer is like? Because most people are like they sit in those big domes with the giant telescopes and they sit there and they look all night. Like, can you like clarify and kind of layout. What what does a radio astronomer look like compared to what people kind of imagine? Absolutely. So one of the key things is that anyone walking down the street could be an astronomer. I think people have this idea of, of what we, we look like and, and how we behave, but you could be walking past an astronomer at any moment, God. which creep, could be creepy or could be positive. I don't know. It depends how you feel about it. Um, but what what we typically do in radio astronomy is we very rarely sit at the telescope. You can, there are a couple of places, but most of the time we say, hey, telescope people who organize a telescope and run it, I'd like to look at this thing. Um, and sometimes they say, ha ha, no, other people want to do way cooler stuff than you. So we're not going to get you the time. <laughs> I hope they do say, ha ha. <laughs> a little bit more formal than that. It's, you know, it's a nice email, but but that's basically what they're saying. Um, and other times they say, yes, cool. We'll do your observations on this date. And then after that, they, they send you the data. So we typically don't sit there pressing any buttons. Someone who's a professional does that because a lot of these telescopes, they have fiddly bits. It's very tricky. Um, so it's better to have set people who do that and they send us the data. With radio astronomy, it's just the kind of light that we look at. So it's typically big dishes, like a, like a satellite dish style, but a lot bigger, or little antennas that some of them look like little spiders, some of them look like Christmas trees. Um, they, there's a whole range of radio telescopes, and typically it's not just one. We don't, we, some of them are one, but the ones that I work with particularly are called interferometers, and it's actually a whole load of these dishes or little antennas, and we sort of add all that information together to pretend that we have a big dish. Unfortunately, gravity gets to you. If you keep trying to make dishes bigger and bigger, eventually gravity says no and the whole thing collapses. So instead, yeah. we add a whole load together. Yeah. But as an extra you bonus, know, well, I just want to say I'm a commensal astronomer. So typically, I don't even ask for data myself. I take other people's data after they've already got it um, and then <laughs> look in at I'm, I'm maximizing what we get out of the data, uh, not stealing. This explains the papers, though. I mean, mm. this <laughs> explains the quantity of papers. And I was going to say, for those of you who need a really, you know, a, a very, I, I would say probably most radio astronomers cringe when I say it, but like think contact, think of Arecibo, think of that big, you know, um, <laughs> I know that's about as, you know, as much exposure, though, I would say in the mainstream media as people have to the concepts of radio astronomy, they think of, you know, contact and and the um, the listening, even the, I, like I don't even want to get into that because I'm sure you guys are like, <laughs> oh. but um, yeah, the and the, the point to gravity, that's, you know, essentially kind of what happened to Arecibo, too. Unfortunately, it was a really big radio telescope that just was not well maintained and it and it succumbed to time and weather and gravity. So a sad day, that one. <laughs> It was a yeah. sad day for that one. Yeah, I actually got a chance to, um, oh, I'm really bad with names today. 
like extra bad today for some reason. Ah, what's his name? Um, the guy who is the head astronomer of Arecibo. I got to meet him and talk with him right after that happened. And they were very hopeful that there was going to be something rebuilt. But I don't think that that has panned out the way that they thought it was going to, unfortunately. Really nice, really nice guy. I will think of his name when I when I remember it. But um, even, yeah, it's just uh, I get to meet really cool people through NASA astrobiology. And so anyway, we're going to have to take actually our first break. Really quick before we do that, I just want to remind everyone, obviously, as always, you can follow all of us on social media in some shape or form. I am Space K Sarah on all of the platforms, and you can find iRock Space Radio on all of the platforms, and uh, Benjamin and Kabi, and then we will have our guest throughout her handles, so everyone knows where to go to find this delicious space awesomeness. Uh, Kabi, how about you? Me. Time Hi. Uh, I'm Hi. a problem. It's me. Okay. Um, you can find me <laughs> Fun Fact Science. Throwing out all the Taylor Swift references, uh, science memes, and uh, just generally uh, having a good time sharing science in any way I can on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all the good procrastination apps. Benjamin. Perfect. Hi, Benjamin from Science. (laughs) And you can find me on all the Time Waster apps, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, etc. Look for Science Actually. And if it's not Science Actually, look for Actually Science. And that's me. And I'm Astro Laura or on Twitter, Astro Laura D, because someone else already had Astro Laura, so inconvenient. <laughs> but also AstroLaura.com is, is and then you can find all the links. Perfect. And you can also find links to uh, her dog's social media, because I found that as well. And we're we're big fans of space doggos here. Um, I have a dog named Hubble <laughs> and Kavi has a Newton. And then yep, yours and is an Astro. Astro. So <laughs> yep. Benjamin. Oh, and Benjamin has a question, though. He needs to know. If he's not alone, the most important one. Ask it quick. Are you scuba certified? (laughs) (laughs) I was was like, what's the question going to be? Is it going to be, is there aliens? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not. I am a little bit scared of the ocean. I got stung by a jellyfish when I was a kid. And then it's all just been a little bit. I've been stung by a jellyfish as well. This is where the divide is among scientists. Okay. People who scuba and people get bit by jellyfish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's we found the line. It's jellyfish. It this was the hard-hitting question we needed to start this show with. So there we go. More. <laughs> it's, it's settled. We're tied in this, in this episode. All right. Please stay tuned if you're listening live on the station right now. We will be back after a short music break. Or if you are listening on our podcast platform, they'll just be a hot little blip and then we'll be right back. So you are listening to the Space K Sarah show with my space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin and special guest Astro Laura, Lauren, Laura. I keep wanting to say Lauren for some reason because my best friend's name is Lauren and I just, I don't know, I'm struggling today. Anyway, you're listening to the Space K Sarah show here on iRock Space Radio. Welcome back to the Space K Sarah show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin and our special Special guest, Astro Laura, who is joining us from the land known under with Kabi. And uh, she is an astrophysicist who uses radio telescopes. And she explained in her first segment, in the first segment, uh, a little bit about her educational background and origin story. We asked the important question. So she is not scuba certified. Um, that's unfortunate. And uh, yeah, Benjamin has a good list of questions that he wants to ask you. And I also 
took <laughs> I took a quiz and it's on um, how stuff works. It says, how much do you know about supernovas? And I started out strong and then it kept getting worse as I was going down. I was like, dang, I don't like I don't know a lot. So I learned a lot very rapidly. I have this still here. Benjamin, why don't you start with some of your questions since you are just burning, pun intended, with questions. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to start. <laughs> Do it. All right. Why? <laughs> no, that's a stupid question. Why is a Do very it. good question. Why? Why? <laughs> so, supernovas, why? Um, what was I going to say? What is the closest? All right, here's my here's the actual question. What is the closest an object to, can get? A celestial object going supernova, but not actually crossing that tipping point that makes it go kablamo. What's the biggest it could get? I also think quickly what? before you uh, answer that too, could you, because again, I always try to assume that people have no idea what we're talking about. Could you just briefly explain What's what a supernova, supernova is and then go ahead to that question? <laughs> sure, yes. And, and using a unit of measurement is uh, eagles. <laughs> we round up the turkeys if we need to. Uh, yes, <laughs> many, many eagles. So many. <laughs> eagles big. <laughs> yeah. How many treats of an eagle would a supernova sound like <laughs> uh, well it depends on what it, what 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 the environment is i mean i'm always going to treat all the science questions seriously it depends on what it's exploding into <laughs> perfect so yes as you as you think it's a supernova is an explosion essentially yes it's definitely an explosion so uh, only i think i think i get this i get this question a lot when is the sun going to go supernova and that an important question because the answer is no, it is not. It's not going to do that. Only big stars. So stars that are about 10 times as heavy as our sun. We don't really have a very nice, clear line of exactly this mass, but big stars, um, as they go on in their life, they're burning all the fuel that's inside them, starts with hydrogen, gets to helium. Eventually, we go up the periodic table, as this podcast does too, and we get to iron. Um, and that's sort of the, the the limit. Once you get to iron, fusion just is like, nope, can't take it anymore. We've got to the highest limit. That's it. And iron is also really heavy. So eventually the star sort of stops burning fuel in its core and it starts burning fuel in sort of rings around the core. And eventually it's just like, nah, can't do it anymore. And basically gravity then starts winning. So stars around because this fusion is pushing outwards and gravity is pushing inwards. And at this point when fusion just conks out, gravity wins and it all just starts collapsing in on itself. But stars are really big. So it is kind of a weird delay between when the core starts collapsing and the outside doesn't really know that the inside has started collapsing. Um, and it all bounces off this core in the middle as a big explosion. And we get these supernova remnants, which are these sort of bubbles blown in space with this explosion. So basically it's a star, a really big star at the end of its life that with a really heavy core, everything falls in and then explodes outwards as well. That's a supernova. Um, I was thinking, what what's the closest that something can get without going supernova? And I suppose there's probably some of those stars that are on the edge of that mass, that, that mass edge that we don't know um, between when it sort of just cools down and becomes a dwarf. So the other option is a small star does the same thing. It, it fusion, 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 fusion. But instead of this big explosion, it just sort of slowly cools down in a bit of a boring end instead. So there's probably a few stars that are on the edge of that that boundary, that roughly 10 solar mass boundary between am I going to explode or am I just going to die slowly? <laughs> there's, a, there's like metaphors in there. There we are can a ton all of metaphors. To <laughs> like we all... We all feel you, Star. Uh, our answer conclusively was, I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's, it's definitely, yeah. I don't know. That's going to be a very common answer. And if you've had other scientists, that's probably a very common answer. But um, those stars that die slowly, they're the most common 
in the universe. They're called M dwarfs, and they're if you point at a star, probably an M dwarf. Okay, really cool, mm, very cool. Yeah, and I um that limit that you are mentioning is named after um isn't it? It was in my quiz. Hold on. Oh, I, did, I don't even know this. I think uh, you might be uh, thinking of the type one A supernova limit, which is, is a whole that, other story. No, it's a type two. It says stars that reach the... Chance of Let's not talk about the types. Yeah, I'm just so confused by the types. So uh, uh, I think if anybody <laughs> knows anything about astronomy, we have a lot of historical things that now no longer make any sense at all. Okay, what so yeah, it's uh, the Chandra, Chandra Sekar. Kinds of Novas? Yes. It's, it's very simple. Everything is yeah, clearly like one that. or five two. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> except then there's what's the A and two B and what is happening? Thank you. Okay, well that makes me feel better because I'm reading, I'm taking this list, and they're like, what kinds of, what kind of types are these? Like, what causes a type one? What causes a type two? What is this? And I'm like, oh, I just, I don't know. Like, uh, super, <laughs> supernova. And I think that was one of Benjamin's questions as well. Is like, so you, it's a what nova, supernova, hypernova. Ooh, <laughs> like, hypernova. Like, or I don't know. I think that was the hyper. What are the differences between all the? the novas and is there right. a possibility of a super duper nova yeah i read about a, a kilo nova in an article just the other day I'm like, yes as with all things with creative, novas creative, what? <laughs> creative name <laughs> systems <laughs> right. just just add different superlatives to the start of the name until you run out and then make up new ones i guess that's what we do um a nova is a sort of a, a mini explosion instead so this is typically just the surface of a star um, might just explode out so instead of the whole star exploding um, there's often a little trigger or something so maybe something from its companion if it's in a binary might have fallen onto the surface of the star and that's sort of a bit of a spark and the whole thing the whole surface just goes so you can have one thing doing multiple novi um but a supernova happens once because once you've exploded the star, there's there's no going back from that. Whereas novae, you can do a couple, you can do a few, and they're known ones where you can sort of go, okay, it's probably going to go off soon-ish, but we don't really have a watch for these things. Um, hypernovae, I'm not so sure about that one. Um, that sounds interesting. Killer novae, I think, are just sort of a size thing, and they could be related to fast radio bursts, which is one of the one of the things that I study specifically. Um, and those are the ones that I think they make some of the really cool elements. I couldn't tell you exactly which ones, but killer novies are specifically are responsible for some of the, the certain elements that, that we know and love. Um, and supernovae as well, of course, are responsible for lots of those elements because it's in that explosion that things are kind of forced together that they otherwise wouldn't be. So I think gold might be one of the ones that is made in some of these explosions. That's usually the one in the headlines, I think. Do you know about hypernovae? I don't know I, about that. Okay, I found it a bit. The term, I think it's just when you have a higher mass star. And uh, then, I think, I think. Bigger? Explosion. I, I got the answer. Oh, yeah. Oh. So it says a hypernova is essentially a supernova, but with a much greater release of energy. Some hypernovae novae, release a deadly gamma radiation. That sounds about right. Just add another. Just it's bigger. So we'll call it hyper because that's so, cooler. Yeah. Right. Well, this is this is like, yeah, how everything is named. You know, um, when you think about even like like dark matter and dark energy, they're like, well, we can't tell what they're. What is it? It's called because we can't. We can't be expected to be good at science and be creative. Well, yes, I mean, it's <laughs> all about telescope names, very large array, the giant meteor <laughs> telescope. It's just, it's just make it, make it big. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, I have, I have a question that you might not know the answer to, um, and I don't want to take away from Benjamin's burning questions. But when you're saying very large telescope, someone told me a fact, and I have no, I can't find anything on this that they said that like historical telescopes, big telescopes, can only earn the title of great if someone got hurt while using them. I was like, she right. said that she had heard it on a tour somewhere of some like historical. I don't know. I'm trying Speaking to think of names. It's great in them. I don't think there are any um, scopes with great in them. They are all great now. But such a great thing, though. Yeah. No. Anyway, Benjamin, what else do you what? have? <laughs> yeah. I'm putting you on the spot again. Come on. Burning right. questions. Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. Just make it a good one. Yeah. Okay. All right. <clears throat> are there different types? Are there certain types of galaxies that produce more supernovae than others, like with a higher frequency, like perhaps a denser galaxy or maybe a, a spiral galaxy versus a cluster? Yes. yes, the answer to that question is yes. So younger galaxies typically have more dust and gas in them, and they're also more star forming. So more dust and gas means that more stars are being born. And typically that means that more big stars, more short lived stars are being formed. So then we have more explosions. So if more stars are being formed, we have more explosions. The older dwarf galaxies, um, like our Magellanic clouds, those little old ones that our galaxy is eating, they don't have as much dust and gas and the stars and things in them tend to be old. So they're not really doing much. So it's the spirals with lots of stars being formed that typically have more explosions. So the astrobiology nerd in me is like, so is that then increasing the probability of potential life forms in those galaxies if there's more explosions because there's more of the elements from what we understand needed for life being produced in those galaxies? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd have to do some maths to properly answer that question. But on the other hand, of course, you don't want to be close to explosions. And also life is a while to get going. So if we have a lot of stars that are being formed and then dying, then maybe that doesn't give enough time for life to really right. go. You kind of want the get a boring stars, I think. Yeah. This is it, okay. my biology is not. I, I did love biology in school. I love it, but it's a little bit outdated now. But there's a lot of interesting, and, and that's something that I work on is searching for stars that you maybe wouldn't want to live next door to because they have lots of these kind of flares and, and x rays and being bombarded. But on the other hand, there's these ideas that maybe you do need a little bit of a explosion or some gamma rays or something to get life going. So you want that balance right. between too many explosions, not so good, but you need at least a little bit of a exploding <laughs> to get things going. But that's just one of many ideas on the whole life question. So a bit of sure. a little bit of both. And it might be something in the Drake equation that I'm not uh, familiar with because I don't I know of the Drake equation, but don't ask me to be like, this is what it all measures and, and uh, you know, calculates <laughs> for the statistical probability of, of well, even the Drake like, equation, though, the uncertainties on each of those parameters are so huge. You can basically choose whatever number you like. So it's a good way to sort of frame your thinking about these things, but not so good at getting an exact, any kind of exact number out. Because it just, just like we were talking then, there's too many things to kind of go, wait, maybe this, but maybe not that. And what if we need a little bit, but not too much? So it gets a little, it gets very complicated very quickly. 
Sure. Yeah. So you are interested in the uh, the the not happy stars, the bad stars, if you will, the stars that probably a spacecraft even should not get too close to. Yes, that's right. Because they so our our sun. Hopefully, most people have heard that it flares and that causes nice aurorae and it looks cool. If it flares too much in our direction, hopefully it doesn't do that because all of our satellites are going to be really not happy with that sort of situation yeah. as we go into the active period of our sun. So. Hopefully, fingers crossed that none of those spots are pointing directly at us. Um, we'll we'll see how we go. Um, but the sun, our sun, you know, if we put if we put our telescopes, uh, you know, even at the next star over, it doesn't look that exciting. It's a pretty standard star, which is lucky for us astronomers because it's a nice sort of control. We like it because it's it's handy for understanding other stars. But the stars that I'm looking at, they do these humongous flares so we can detect them even though they're really, really far away, particularly in the radio. So that means that if we see them in the radio, they're probably also sending out big chunks of plasma, loads of x-rays, maybe gamma rays. That's the one sort of type of light I don't tend to look into. So if you were on a planet going around these, you're probably not really in the best place to be unless your planet has an amazing magnetic field because that's what protects us. And the problem with these stars as well is they're smaller. So what we call the Goldilocks zone where it's not too hot and not too cold. I think it should be called the baby bear zone. I'm on a campaign because he was the one who that had the porridge. That was the correct temperature. Goldilocks was the beef. Should be the baby bear. The <laughs> I'm pushing it. Okay. Point. Yeah. But these stars, they're small. That also means that Goldilocks zone is much closer in. So if that star has magnetic fields, then the planet might actually be inside them. So this Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold, and liquid water, that's our sort of mm. usual um, criteria. But there's all these other things, magnetic fields, flares, and that's the sort of thing that I'm interested in. So radio stars typically have big magnetic fields and flares. So if you put a planet in there, meh. Maybe not the best place. <laughs> you never know. Yes, you know, we we, we actually, uh, and I would say that um, NASA astrobiology would would be with you on this campaign to get rid of the Goldilocks zone. Uh, but their reasoning is different. They don't like people thinking that there's only one specific place that life could exist because now we understand that like there there are extremophiles that are living in places on Earth that are so like we had no idea that things could survive in those places, could they possibly then be existing on, you know, icy moons of Jupiter or Saturn? So I know that like that's something frowned upon even in in that organization to call it the Goldilocks zone. So we'll go for it. We'll we'll help you in your campaign for baby bear. Baby I'm, bear. I'm with it. We got to make T-shirts. We're going to get there. We'll get there for you. We're going to take a break and we will continue talking about stars that go boom. Can that just be the name of this episode now? <laughs> Iron Man. Stars that go boom. Stars go boom. <laughs> you are listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with my space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, and our guest, Astro Laura, here on iRock Space Radio. Welcome back to the Space Case Sarah Show here on iRock Space Radio. And we are having a conversation with our guest, Astro Laura, who is a astrophysicist that studies the not so nice stars we have learned, which is, you know, I feel like it's um, it's sort of like your uh, anti. Wow, uh, what, what do you what would you call it in the Iron Man Marvel sort of thing? Like she's like, there's like this really positive, sweet, nice person, and then you study like <laughs> these evil stars. So it's like that's her black suit, Spider Man. Alter ego. There we go. Alter ego. <laughs> we got that. Do you, do you have, um, oh, like, do you have music that you like Super to Mountain. listen to when you're analyzing this data? Is it like angry, epic, star blowing up music? 
I, I mean, now that you say that, I really should. I should. I'm very <laughs> should. much more, I'm much more into pop music. So. <laughs> <laughs> I should, should act heavy metal or something. It's just exploding things. You could totally make a video too. I've been seeing videos of people that are showing like they're like drag racers and they're like, what well, people think I'm listening to. And then and then they go in the car and they're really like, I got a pocket, got a pocket full of judgment. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a good choice, actually. That would be a good choice of song. <laughs> um, so uh, we have been learning a little bit about Supernova, Nova, Nova, and uh, learning about what that is, what you specifically look for. What is like a typical day in your life, though? Because again, I, I feel like everyone thinks that you're now probably sitting in a dark room, um, you know, staring at a computer for hours and over caffeinated and then you go home during the day and crash and go back but i'm certain that is not anything like what your day-to-day life is like no i mean you can see the sun coming in through my windows so that's already kind of ruined that one um i think <laughs> we have a lot more meetings than i think people would would expect and that's because we do collaborate a lot and unless you're communicating with your teams there's you know even less progress is made so of course we'd all love we honestly all love to just sit at our, at our computers and just do science <laughs> all the time. Um, but that's not typically how it goes. So, you know, we have meetings, but it's mostly to talk about science. So, eh, that's fine. We just yeah, talk the science. They make you people, people across huh? the world. Yeah, exactly. So inconvenient. Um, answering emails, of course, um, talking to students, but it's a lot of programming. Um, really, it's a lot of, in my case, Python programming. Um, and I didn't really think I'd like programming that much because it seems a bit scary and hard, but I like to think of it more as a tool of what I do. So I'm not really a software developer or anything like that. Um, just like a chemist wouldn't say they're a Bunsen burner operator. They're just not going to call themselves <laughs> that, right? <laughs> so just like they use that as a tool, I use programming as the tool to explore data. So usually what I'm doing is making plots and just sort of looking at numbers because this kind of science that I do is this sort of discovery science in Looking at space, you can't generally set up an experiment and then be like, okay, star, it's your turn. You've got to explode now so I can test my hypothesis. You have to work with what you've got. So that's what I, I do. I work with what I've got and, and explore data, making plots and things just to see kind of what, what pops out. Sometimes I try and plan what I'm doing, but even when I do, it doesn't typically end up the way that I expect that hypothesis situation goes out of the window very fast. But playing with data with Python is the typical day-to-day, plus all the meetings and, and emails and typical things like yes. that. Yeah, all the emails. I was, I'm just curious. So I, again, I don't really, I don't, I apparently don't know a ton about Supernovae. Um, and <laughs> what did so you get on that quiz, actually? Huh? Yeah. My, oh. Hey, can you send me the quiz? I want to take it. Okay. I will send it to you. Um, <laughs> I, did actually, I did actually pretty well, but that's because like the questions are, it's pretty easy to deduce what the right answer was. But in terms of history, so the last time, according to this, that we've ever seen with like the naked eye, a, a supernova was uh, Kepler recorded a supernova in 1604. And from what I understand, that's the last time like standing on Earth, that's the last time we were able to see one, which is a great segue for Benjamin's question about a certain star that keeps kind of teasing that it might do it yeah. or not. So is that 110 percent today. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. only say the name twice and not three times. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have to what's, answer. Well, what's the what's the deal with that? Beetlejuice. What's going on? <laughs> You're talking well, about I mean, looking at stars and saying, "Hey, it's your turn." 
Well, you know. okay, sister, let's go. Yeah, what and is it? I, I I have to admit, I haven't kept up too much with this, but the the prevailing idea seems to be it's not as close as everybody would like it to be to explode. I think it, it's sort of doing what it usually does, is my understanding of, of what I've read and seen on tweets from scientists who are looking at that particular star, is that it's just, it typically kind of oscillates a little bit, does goes brighter and fainter and its usual thing. But we are well overdue for a a supernova in our galaxy. So one of my one of my favorite objects that I studied um, for a while is called the Crab Nebula, which has a pulsar in it. So I was actually looking at the the dead star in the middle. Um, but that one was 1054 AD. So we typically don't know when supernovae went off. So we see all these bubbles that. So radio astronomy does the supernova remnants, so the leftover bubbles in space, um, and we find them, and we're like, okay, it's about that big. But that doesn't tell us because how big it gets depends on how much dust is around it. It's sort of like blowing a bubble underwater or blowing it in the air you probably get a bit bigger in the air because there's not as much pushing against it. So we don't have good ways of telling how old stuff is unless someone wrote it down. Like in 1604 and in 1054 AD, there were quite a few um, civilizations that wrote down, there's a new star in the sky. What's up with that? <laughs> and that's that was the crab. So, you know, there's we, we're overdue. We're definitely overdue in what we expect. Um, so if you do notice a new star in the sky, you should be able to see it during the day as well. If we have a supernova in our galaxy, um, that then get ready for every astronomer to be losing their minds. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why I think like people are so excited and kind of jumpy about the Beetlejuice situation because it does, it would be an incredible show. Oh man, every telescope, you could hear every telescope in the world just pointing (laughs) every single telescope as quickly as possible. (laughs) I heard that even like if it went off, it would, it would be so bright during that initial beginnings that you could like to see your shadow at nighttime still like it would be super bright um yeah that would be really cool <laughs> yeah so we can we can really something is <laughs> yeah right uh come on come on you're the you're the you can star whisperer make it happen i'll, I'll try I'll, I'll, I'll send some radio signals up it's, it's easier said than done but i'll work on it right and that's the tragic thing about you're saying that we're overdue yeah but on a cosmic time scale yes like in in yes. our lifetime are we gonna get to see one sort of the same thing like they say like well when we average out the statistics generally a big rock kind of hits earth every like 65 million years give or take like based on the averages of how often they think that orbital patterns and things get close enough blah 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 blah. and so then you do the math and you're like yeah yeah that didn't work out so hot for the dinosaurs 67 million years ago we're due for that um but you know the odds that it actually is going to happen in your lifetime is not really worth losing sleep over at night, no, and that's in the same. Drama. We're just like you know, it's 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 that's a really short time scale. And people are like, oh, how long? And it's you sort of say, oh, a couple of million years. <laughs> Right. So we, we get a little bit of a skewed perspective, especially with distance as well. We're like, oh, yeah, that's next door. Sort of. Yeah. Next door in space terms. <laughs> right. Like the Andromeda galaxy is coming at us and everyone's like, oh, and then, yeah, first of all, it's going to take forever. Yeah. Um, and uh-huh. nothing's probably going to hit each other soon. Yep. I mean, it'll be cool for if anything is alive still at that point. But um, yeah, I, I was learning a little bit of history and that was one thing that I noticed. And the other question I noticed was um, that the first live recording of one was by accident, obviously, in 2008. Uh, that sounds about right. And yeah, and they were just kind of like, whoa, what happened? Uh, let me find it on this. <laughs> well, I should say that we... 
Wait, well, yeah. I can, I can, I can fill in while you look things up. That's okay. Um, we typically are actually detecting supernova explosions all the time. There's something called the transient name server, which anybody can have a look mm-hmm. on, and that's where we record all of these things. But they're in other galaxies, so we okay. see supernovae all the time, but they're, you know, far away. Um, but of course, to actually see one in real time, you have to be pointing at the right galaxy at the right time, just by chance. So usually, you know, we we look at. A galaxy, I don't know how often these optical telescopes are looking at them, but say, let's just say, guess, once a week. So they'll so they'll look on Monday and then the next Monday they'll be like, oh, in between this week, one went off. It's not typically mm-hmm. when they're actually looking. So that's why it's so special to get one in real time because usually it's just like, oh, we looked at it last year and we looked at it today and a supernova happened sometime right. in that time. Right. So that's why. Which again, awesome. space is, is huge, right? And so just mm. looking at one, I mean, think of like Hubble or James Webb, like just even those are looking at soda that's- straw <laughs> points. Yeah. And there's galaxies and galaxies and galaxies. So yeah, the odds of being able to accidentally get one, is that like a bucket list item for uh, for you? Well, I think it's a bit different for radio telescopes because usually the radio light comes last. So we usually see the explosion. So this is, uh, it depends on the object, but typically, um, say a gamma ray burst or a supernova, you'll see that explosion happen in one of the higher frequencies. And then depending on the object, a few hours, a few days, maybe even weeks later, that's when the radio light starts shining through. So it's what that's one of the things that I do is I look for things in the radio so that we don't have to wait for someone else to tell us that it happens. So usually the things that explode and the things that change in the radio sky, it's because someone else told us. They're like, hey, we saw this thing in the x-rays. You might want to point at it. But what I try to do is find them first as well. So I have a few, as well as stars, I have a few different things that I work on. But um, yeah, we're trying to get the radio to really start winning the competition. <laughs> so it's we're going to be in the radio. Yeah, it's a bit where we're usually the last to see mm-hmm. the Because disc- the radio like come last because it's obscured by other frequencies of light ahead in front of it? This is a good question. Kavi might know better, but I think it has to do with opacity. Uh, so um, it basically is, is blocked by the, the bubble of exploding stuff until it expands enough that it can both get through. Got it. Get through my understanding. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, so it's, it's, that, it's two things. It's that. Um, it has to transition from, you know, optically thick to optically thin so we can see the light, but also the actual like physical mechanism for what's causing radio light to be produced is the shock wave from the supernova hitting the, the material that's surrounding the star. Um, and that produces emission that's, you know, we can see at radio wavelengths. So yeah, both of those things mean that we as radio astronomers are kind of like, just waiting. It's like, do the thing. We're yep. watching. <laughs> we like to think of light as instantaneous, but like, of course, in these scales, it isn't. It, things take time. Like poking poking their computer screens. Um, <laughs> yes. In the dark, drinking their monster energy drinks. And, you know, there's like the, you know. <laughs> um, well, we're going to have to wrap it up, but we have to talk, of course, very quickly about the, the most important thing, which is your dog, whose name is Astro. And <laughs> yes. uh, Astro has his own web page dedicated on your website so he does obviously and and an instagram account i noticed so (laughs) astro tell us a little bit about astro well astro isn't with me unfortunately because i keep moving places and he's (laughs) he's got anxiety he's on prozac he's Mm. special um (laughs) he lives a very happy life now that he's on prozac um before that he was (laughs) a little ball of anxiety so astro is named after a combo of things um my parents used to take us to the video easy and we would get astro boy 
the old oh, yeah. cartoon. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So he's named after that. He's also named after the dog in the Jetsons called Astro. Um, and he has a brother from another mother called Tralfaz. Now, if you're into your niche references and you've watched the Jetsons, there's an episode because if you remember the story, I'm sure everybody does. Elroy, who's the son in the Jetson, yeah. walks in with this giant dog. So Elroy is a tiny little kid and he's carrying this giant dog and he's like, mom and dad, can we keep him? I'm going to call him Astro. Um, but that means Astro actually had some real parents and it, the episode is called Millionaire Astro um, and his real name, according to his millionaire parents, is Tralfaz and, and he sort of goes Moralfraz because he doesn't really like it. <laughs> so that's a very niche, very, very niche um, reference there. Um, but also Astro is called Astro because of astronomy. So it's a bit of a combo of, um, of naming. But yeah, he's a whippet and he's really skinny and really fast. <laughs> and I think cute. Depending if you like if you like skinny dogs, if you like greyhounds, he's cute. Other people are like, "Have you fed him enough food?" Um, right, <laughs> that's a skinny right. dog issue. Um, and like right now, his his time is shining again. Reference there uh, in in doggo like meme reference land. You know that that me do it for you. Like he's the yeah. perfect kind of dog. Oh, the long dog he is. <laughs> uh, the, the public demands Astro in that. Because um, <laughs> he leaves like, up to parents, so I'll be like, "Mom, I need you to just." make him do some things (laughs) i feel like though um we haven't done anything like this actually in quite some time that we should have a like a tweet comment something do something and tell us the name of that that really niche reference that she just said comment on one of our social media posts what the name of astro's was it his dad's his real name after his real name his real name Yes, that's right. Yes. Tweet out or comment on some post what the real name was that she mentioned, and I will send you swag. Um, <laughs> I actually owe someone swag in Australia still, too, I think. I... Oh, yeah. The, my friend who was listening yeah, to the episode was like, yeah. oh, that space sound. I couldn't hear it. Was it was it the sound of space? And we're like, we just forgot to put. That was when I forgot to put the sound actually in the finished product. But uh, if you can remember to do that, unlike myself, who is a space case, and go comment, I will send you swag. So that's our little, our little Easter egg, a little nugget of winning something from the station in there whatever it is a hat and a shirt and stuff like that that pretty much wraps this uh this show up for us guys do you have any last thoughts or comments questions concerns complaints i'm just, I'm just looking at astro dog's photos and he is the cutest thing <laughs> there's one gray one and he's wearing like a little santa hat and his tongue's flipping out the side of his head he looks great that's my dog i want to hang out with <laughs> no, i'm shining one he might not want to hang out with you. That's the problem. <laughs> Too much anxiety. He's a little anxious. Yes, understandable. We can some, you know, I, I, I empathize with that. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about supernovas and, and the work that you do. And um, this was great. Our iron episode is probably, this is probably the nerdiest in like terms of a technical topic that we have tackled um in terms of scientific information we are <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to bring the nerd to the episode <laughs> yes. yes yes this is this is very uh very sciencey and we love it for our iron awesome. episode <laughs> thank you so much again as always um if you are listening live thank you for tuning in if not you can catch all our episodes including season one on all the platforms you could ever possibly ever think of um we are everywhere so just 
if you're listening there, then you already know. And uh, thank you again to our guest. And we will talk to you all again and nerd out some more next week. You have been listening to the Space Case Sarah Shoe with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin and special guest Astro Lauren Laura. Astro Laura. I, that's just rolling off my tongue. <laughs> get that Instagram <laughs> account now. With, <laughs> special guest Astro Laura here on iRock Space Radio. You've been listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, a production of iRock Space Radio. Go to iRockspaceRadio.com for more.